Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is a podcast where I speak to tantalising, fascinating, adventurous people from across the globe that will inspire comedians like you and me to live this comic journey on our own terms. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends. Give us a five-star view on Amazon or iTunes. And most importantly, subscribe on this fantastic roller coaster of a journey. Now, today's guest is remarkable, one of a kind. He is the only 60-year-old, visually impaired, Polish-origin comedian on the circuit, Chris Markowitz. He is absolutely fascinating. He's got many stories to tell. He's also a teacher of training courses, a stand-up. He, he runs a comedy night called All Sorts, where comedians get sweeties. He is absolutely amazing. You're going to love him. Let's say hello to Chris. <laughs> hello, Melvin. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Yes, it is. Is that a chuckle brother saying? Nice to see you, to see you, see you. Yes, it is. Or is it Bruce Forsyth? <laughs> I think you're talking about Bruce Forsyth, but hey, oh. <laughs> the, main thing, the main thing is the quote. Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for inviting me on. This is uh, this is genuinely an honour and a privilege. Not sure I'm tantalising. That's an interesting word. But um, I can, I can, I can, I can take that one on the chin, definitely, along with the other lovely expressions you used. Okay, so what I, I'll say this geezer from London of Polish origin. Yeah, this old duffer, this old duffer, old duffer. Of Polish origin who can't see bugger all. <laughs> well, I mean, with with, with um, like your story and all the things you do. I'm guessing you, you must have, it's a pleasure to have you on here. Would you be able to give us a little interlude and brief introduction and in how you got into comedy and your life before you became, a, before you did stand-up comedy? Yeah, sure, Marvin, no problem at all. How did I get into comedy? Well, um, <clears throat> I got into comedy as um, a lover of comedy, if you like, uh, some years back um, in the very, very early days of, um, you know, the London stand-up um, uh, kind of uh, scene. Um, and you, you may indeed have heard stories from other comedians or from you know, looking online about, you know, the, the birth of, the, the, for example, the Comedy Store uh, back in the 80s. Um, and um, I actually... Um, uh, used to go to the comedy store in London to watch acts and so on. And um, um, uh, I would go with actually a, a friend of my sister's, I have an older sister, um, and uh, one of her friend's husbands was a regular MC at the comedy store, a guy called Lee Corns. And um, I used to go with him when, whenever he was MCing the night and so on and so forth to watch all the acts that were coming through at the time. Um, and many of whom, of course, now, uh, you know, become big names, some of whom have dropped off the circuit altogether and others who are still on the circuit but aren't necessarily big names. But the point being, I was really, you know, really enjoyed going to watch the comedy. I thought, you know, this is, this is something new, it's something fresh. It's an alternative to sitting and watching sitcoms on telly and, um, you know, really enjoyed myself. As an audience member, I, I didn't perform in those days. Um, you might remember Jongleurs, which, of course, uh, went down the pan uh, two or three years ago. Um, I, uh, in fact, was one of uh, a smattering of people who were in the audience for the first ever Jongleurs night in Battersea um, uh, when it first started. Um, so, I mean, I used to go there regularly as well, again, as audience and, and see all sorts of people who are, you know, you name it, you know, you had Julian Clary, you had Arthur Smith, you had Joe Brand, you had, um, you know, all sorts of people, who are, uh, Paul, Paul Merton, you've got all sorts of people who, you know, are now sort of big, big names. I remember seeing Paul Merton performing in a little kind of basement club in West End, you know, to about six people when he was just starting out. So, you know, it was lovely to be part of that at that particular time um, and to, um, you know, sort of get involved as, as an audience member. Um, but what's interesting, Marvin, is that, I don't know, I can't remember how long that was for, a couple of years, and I kind of dropped out 
and didn't really follow stand-up for, that's right, I got married and you get married and things sort of move on in other directions, etc., etc. This is to my first wife. I'm, I'm on my second wife at the moment, the second of six. Um, and um, so uh, I, um, you know, didn't really um, continue going to uh, stand-up comedy at, at all for years. So, um, and then um, how did I get into it? Well, I, a few years ago, um, put up some videos on YouTube for a bit of kind of talking head videos under the guise of a character called the old Polish gentleman, where I'm talking bollocks with a Polish accent, pretending to be an old Polish gentleman, which I am, born where I was born in Baron. Um, and um, <clears throat> that then prompted me to wonder, oh, um, might it be fun to actually get up on stage and, and do some comedy? Because it's always something I had in the back of my mind that I wanted to do before I... Hmm. You know, before it was too late, let's put it that way. And um, yeah, I mean, I just literally Googled stand-up comedy in London because I was just so out of touch with the scene. And there was, there was so many nights that were offering open spots, you know, five-minute spots to new comedians. And, and my first gig was a paid gig. I got £1.50, door split. My second gig was at the comedy store. So there you go. <laughs> oh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> And I thought, if I... If I never do another gig, I can at least tell my children, my grandchildren, that I gigged at the comedy store. Um, and um, although that was my second gig, it only lasted 43 seconds because uh, I got gonged off. I, I, <laughs> I went in for the gong show and got gonged off after 43 seconds. But I still stood on that stage. <laughs> so and it kind of went from there, to be honest with you, Marvin. Um, and I mean, I'm not doing it so much now, but racked up about 300 gigs, and, uh, you know schlepping around various uh, dodgy and less dodgy uh, venues around London, amusing rooms that might have two people in or 200 people in, depending on the gig and so on. That's true. Yeah, it's, it's a very up and down thing. And mm. I, but what can I tell you? Yeah, it's a, you're, <laughs> there's a couple of things that I've drawn from that I'm, I'm finding quite interesting and I want to hear more. Yeah, sure. How was the what was the experience that do your second gig at the comedy store gong show? How brutal were they? I mean, what were they like? Yo, you get off now! Whoa. <laughs> well, what what was particularly bruising, my Marvin, <laughs> was that I I got up on stage to do my my old Polish gentleman character, right? So I'm sort of get on the stage. Good evening, my name is I am the old Polish gentleman, and all this kind of stuff. And um, I'd already sussed out that a few, a couple of people in the audience were, were, were actually Polish. And I thought, oh, they'll be on side, you know, they'll, 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 they'll love this because I'm, you know, put, um, um, <clears throat> and it was one of the Polish people that put up one of the three red cards to, to boo me off, you know what I mean? Or gong me off. And I was so upset. I remember getting off, getting off the stage and, and just sort of in a pleading voice saying, I really am Polish, you know, I'm not taking a piss. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I've got the DVD somewhere of it that they sent me. You know, they say, I don't know if you know, they send you out a DVD of your performance. I've never watched it. I don't, want to, I don't want to watch a single second of that 43 seconds. And to be fair, about six months later, I did it again and did the full five minutes. Yeah. Um, which was also quite funny because uh, about halfway through my set, Ingrid, my wife, had to come onto the stage and turn me around because I was facing the wrong way. Um, <laughs> And uh, so this, this is actually on video. Um, uh, I, I, I've not got it on YouTube at the moment, but I do have that on video. And it's, 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 <laughs> uh, but I did the five minutes, uh, got one red card and uh, the MC gave the woman a really hard time for giving a, a blind man a red card. But, 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 uh, but there you go. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a good experience one way or another. I mean, I did it again, did about three minutes, got gonged off, but hey, you know, um uh, that was that was later on so it, it's all a bit touch and go it depends on the audience depends on a lot of things as to whether you make it through or not but it's fun and where you go in the lineup as well yeah i suppose so yeah you're right yeah yeah yeah, yeah there's so many factors absolutely but i mean for people that don't know about the long about when you've been in the London scene, like tell us a bit about your experience with the one or two hundred or the zeros or the like. Did you expect that? Did you think that you'd be performing to a man and his dog? Uh, yeah, <laughs> except he forgot to bring his dog. Um, <laughs> uh, 
yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't under any illusion that uh, you know, and, and in fact, my, that with the very first gig was of that nature. If you think about it, you got a door split with uh, six or seven acts, and I got one pound fifty. Um, you can sort of uh, soon calculate in the back of your mind or in the front of your mind. It depends where you're calculating. Um, you know how many people were in that particular room. So my first ever gig. I would say was probably about seven or eight people in the audience. Um, didn't really bother me because it was just, you know, uh, you're starting out. I don't get too hung up about that kind of thing. I know some acts do get thrown by that. <clears throat> didn't really bother me. Um, and and um, the, the, the other thing is that um, I'm, I'm used, to, a lot of people who start out in comedy have to uh, get over quite a massive hump and that massive hump is being standing up in front of people and just talking to them, if that makes sense. But because for nearly 30 years, I'd been standing up in front of people every week talking to them because I my main source of work is running training courses in companies and local authorities and civil service and so on. Um, <clears throat> I'm, you know, I'm, well, I wouldn't do standing on my head because that would look ridiculous, but I'm very used to being in a room with anywhere from half a dozen to 40 people sitting in front of me and, and, and you know, to <clears throat> holding the room, if you like. Not, not, not from a comedic point of view, but just from an interaction, communication kind of point of view and, and engaging with them. So, you know, that, that, that part of it, whether there's six people or two people or 200 people, you know, didn't bother me when I started the comedy. I mean, obviously I was concerned that I'd get laughs um, because that's what it's all about. You know, um, if you don't get the laughs, of course, that can be that can be crucifying. Um, but <clears throat> I've been very lucky, actually. I've not I've not had very few, if any, sort of really bad experiences, mm. um, you know, at the front of a room, um, which, um, you know, I, I feel very kind of in my respect, feel very lucky. But in another respect, think mm, maybe I haven't taken enough of the blows to really, you know, be a, um, a fully fledged. Um, comedian who's you know taking the punches and so on and so forth but no it's, it's it's been great yeah yeah no I'm pretty sure that if someone did when you're doing the speeches or you're doing the training courses you probably whipped them a new arse or if they fell asleep or if they walked out you you speak <laughs> and it don't look it don't look too <laughs> no I mean I've, I've only well, in my training life I've only ever had one person fall asleep and uh, this guy was snoring at the back of a room. It was for a publishing company in London. And, and, uh, and I thought, Christ, what do I do here now? And, and one or two people said, oh, don't, don't, don't worry about him. He's got, uh, I always get narcolepsy and necrophilia mixed up. Is it narcolepsy when people fall asleep? It isn't it? Yeah. Or does it go on? Yeah. It's, um, and they said, oh, don't worry. He's got narcolepsy. Um, he does that all the time. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, if someone, if someone in a room isn't engaged, that can throw you. Of course it can or if someone walks out that can throw you but in most comedy clubs it's pretty dark i can't see people uh, so i don't notice if that's the case i just can't <laughs> yes. uh, because i think that's what throws a lot of comedians i see one person in the audience if i'm honest sitting with her arms folded looking totally miserable um and in fact at the other uh, my last night in in barnet like the all sorts comedy night that you mentioned um another comedian came up to me at the end he said oh did you see those two guys sitting there? Sitting, sitting, uh, sitting at the edge there. Um, they, their faces didn't crack at all all evening. They were just sitting there, totally, totally miserable. And uh, I, I said, "Well, I didn't see them. I didn't notice." Um, uh, and of course, you know that. You know, if you see somebody there like that, you could have a hundred people in the room who are all gagging for it, all up for it, and you get a couple of people who are not, and that can, you know, really severely throw you. Um, but thankfully. You know, I can't see them. I mean, <clears throat> you might recall one of my opening lines is, um, you know, uh, around the fact, you know, given the fact that I, I can't see or certainly can't see a thing in the dark, is, you know, if you, if, if, if I say to the audience, if you're scowling or you're grimacing, um, I can't see you, but believe me, if you yawn, I can smell it. <laughs> um, uh, so <laughs> so <laughs> the other senses come into play. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I recognise how, of course, somebody walking out or the one that does bug me is people having conversations while you're on stage. You know what I mean? Sometimes people at a table will talk to each other or whatever. That one I can find quite difficult. 
Um, but I try not to. Um, I try not to be adversarial when dealing with that. So I think a lot of comics start to get stroppy. And once or twice at my nights, I don't know if it's happened at your nights, things have started to get pretty nasty because you know the, the person on stage, if you like, is um, you know having a go at people in a kind of a more aggressive way than perhaps. I mean, I often just say, "Oh, <clears throat> I'm hearing voices. I'm hearing voices. Are they in my head?" Like this, and then people sort of get it and they stop talking. Um, you know, Ooh. something like that is less kind of adversarial than saying, you know, will you shut the fuck up? Um, which, of course, can make things get a lot worse. <clears throat> I don't, you know what? Let me have a think about that. It's not. I've actually seen, yeah, I mean, it happens now and then, yeah, but it's, 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 it's not. It, it's normally actually issues with other acts with each other normally that i see see on stage rather than the audience that's that's what i've seen can be yeah 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 can be but um you know um just in my own experience there's been a couple of times when i've just heard voices in the room and i don't actually it could actually be other acts talking to each other I, i'm not ever no because i can't really see who's doing the talking so that's what i suppose what i'm saying is it's that 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 auditory stuff that can throw me rather than the visual for obvious reasons yeah you know, so noises people talking phones going off that's what's more likely to throw me than um somebody sitting there looking you know grumpy Ooh. or whatever yeah. actually no i do remember one thing um sonia asti was um emceeing one of the nights that i ran and there was this couple who were talking a bit and get a bit fiddly Oh yeah. Uh, well, so saying that, he said something to them. He said, "Yo, uh, like if you say anything, I'll I'll put you down. All right, all right." And then she said, "Okay." <laughs> and then um, something happened. Like they were talking again with another act. Yeah. And then some other audience member said something, and because he wanted to impress his woman, he went, "Yo, what you saying?" That like they left. What you're saying this? You got your woman hold you like a whatever, <laughs> and he was behind the door, and uh, he was getting very lay behind the door, and then having a chat for a bit. Oh, it was through um, Sally's set as well. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, eventually he went downstairs, and uh, <laughs> the owner went and had a chat with him, and then the the female friend of the guy. Went on a chat with him, and then he got angry again. Uh, it was <laughs> eventually he calmed down a bit, but I think it was all a bit of bluster to yeah, the yeah. woman he was with. Well, I did have one act who 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 nearly got into a fist fight with an audience member. In fact, it spilled out into the other bar in the pub, and in the end, the uh, landlord had to step in and, and sort it out. Because uh, my problem is because I don't see well. If something like that happens in the room, I can't really deal with it. But, but my, my son's always there. He does all the tech and that. He's a big lad in his 20s and he would, you know, he would normally steam in and sort something like that out if, it, you know, if he had to. Or, you know, so sometimes these things occur. Uh, yeah. But don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, <clears throat> there's a big difference kind of between the kind of night that I run and probably that you run and, you know, a late Friday night show, or Friday or Saturday night show at the comedy store or whatever, which is, which is madness almost oh, without yeah. exception, you know? Um, and, and most of my audience uh, or, our, or our audience tends to be that little bit more, when I say mature, I don't mean mature, but yeah, kind of more mature in age. You seem to be sort of over 30, right up to, you know, uh, old biddies in their 50s, in their 60s or 70s coming along. You know, I think our, old, our oldest audience members in their 80s, you know? So you've got the full spread there. Um, although, you know, people in their 80s can get into fist fights, I suppose. Um, yeah. <laughs> of a fashion. In a way. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, all the time. It well, it's. I mean, it's. It's been nothing. There's not been nothing like what. Um, what's his name? Who's that big Australian comic that was in? Um, that's gone to America. It's Jim Jeffries. Jeff, oh yeah, yeah. Who I mean, got that's... attacked on stage at the comedy store, and yeah. then James Loveridge, who was a former comic, he had someone in a top secret throw a glass at him. Mm, mm, mm. Well, I saw that happen once at Angel Comedy. The MC had a glass thrown at him when I was performing there at one point. He was doing something in a Spanish accent, and somebody in the audience, who perhaps was Spanish, was offended and chucked the glass at him. So 
Um, I, I, I think to an extent, I'm, I'm, I'm perhaps a, a little bit fortunate that I'm older, but I don't see well, you know, and I think people perhaps, you know, cut me a bit of slack. But then again, I'm, I'm not I'm not really, uh, you know, my, my material, whether I'm emceeing or whether I'm doing a set, doesn't tend to be contentious anyway. You know, I'm, I'm not sort of political or I'm not kind of in any way, um, you know, I don't do anything that is, that is likely to cause offence. Or if I do, it's going to be totally inadvertent. So um, I think I'm kind of um, uh, protected by that. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I'm following on from that. Like, what what do you think? Um, like, be it starting comedy older and like um, being having how do I say? You know, like coming in it with a different angle in comedy. What do you think? And in life, what what sort of unique insights do you think you have that other people don't have? Because I spoke to Colin Lego on my podcast. And he, um, you know, like comics always looking for a unique angle, but he said he found that when he had to chop off his foot. Oh, wow. I mean, it's not a good thing, but he said that he did quite well in Edinburgh as a result of that. And yeah. it's, it's changed yeah. those outlook is. And he, I mean, he obviously wouldn't want that to happen, but it made him reflect better. Yeah, because you've also got, what's the name? Um, have you heard of uh, Legless Laura or Legless Lauren? No, I had no. her on that night. She she literally has one leg. Yeah. So um, yeah. Well, it's 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 finding that USP, isn't it? It's it's identifying what makes you thin. Because when I when I actually when I when I first did my first comedy gig, I was I was fifty nine years old, and I kind of naively thought, oh, this is pretty unique. There won't be many other people, if at all, who are my age who are starting out in comedy. And of course, I couldn't be more wrong. And then I discovered after a little while that, you know, you've got the um, Leicester Comedy Festival, there was still a stand-up contest and so on. And that actually, you know, you've got you've got your older comics who have been comics for decades, you know, like Arthur Smith or Joe Brand or whatever. And then you've got, you know, any number of people who started at a similar age to me. And in fact, during the, um, the lockdown, what I was doing, every... Because um, my, my, my comedy night runs once a month on the first Wednesday of every month. And what I did during lockdown was I had a Zoom get together with, um, I called it the old Duffers get together. And, um, and it was all just comedians uh, who are um, um, over 40, um, just getting together once a month on Zoom, just to have a chat and, 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 and so on. And, and, and you know, uh, there's a lot of us out there. So it's by no means unique. My combination of not seeing well, of being of Polish origin and being older um, informs what I do on stage in the same way as, you know, um, is it Colin Lego? You said, you know, has the, um, you know uh, uses the fact that he's lost part of his leg. Um, and, and, you know, you could, you, could keep, you could continue on and on with different things that make comedians unique. And this is, this is what I noticed when I went to um uh, a, a gig with um ingrid at a big club in london uh there were four comedians sorry there were three comedians on there was a an mc and they were all men in that white heterosexual i'm assuming men in their 30s all telling similar kind of jokes doing similar kind of material and i realized it was possible to be bored and amused at the same time and i thought actually you know I would rather be able to put on comics if I ever run a night with, um, you know, who are interesting and have these unique elements to them um, in the same way as I, as, as I do, which is obviously your original question. So, <clears throat> so with all sorts of comedy, you know, you, what I try to do with every lineup is have, you know, people of different ages, different backgrounds, different nationalities, some with disabilities, uh, some with, you know, some are, uh, you know, different, um, you know, some working class, some posh, um, some musical, some not musical, just to make it interesting for the audience, not to be PC, not to sort of tick any boxes, but it just makes it more fun, more interesting, because you never know what the next act's going to bring on, as opposed to just standing and telling jokes, which some do, you know, do have, you know, yeah. 
straight comics, white male heterosexual comics with check shirts. No worries, you know, but not six in a row or whatever. It's, I mean, two things go into my head when you say that, and this is this is a thought that just come into my head now. One thing I thought of, with music and like with acting. I don't think that's as big as it issue of like having things be a tick box. I mean, they do make sure that certain things get, but I don't see that as much where they have to say, we have to have one person this, we have to have one person this, we have to have one of this, this, this. I, don't, I mean, do you think that, what do you think is the reason for perhaps maybe comedy becoming in some respects more like being a tick box in certain areas? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I never say I have to have one like this, I have to have one like that. I say, I want to have one like this. I want to have one like that, yeah? And there's a kind of a difference there, if you can sort of get it there, Marvin, yeah? If we're thinking I have to have X number of women in the lineup, yeah? yeah? That's me kowtowing to what the world is expecting of me in order to look like a good boy, yeah? On the comedy scene. Whereas if I say I want to have two or three women on, 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 on the lineup out of seven acts, because, you know, there are a lot of funny women out there, and um, I like watching female performers as well as yeah, male yeah, yeah. That's... And the audience will as well, because it all adds to that, the, the variety, if you like, of all sorts. So there's a big difference between want to and have to. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sort of doing it to, um, what's the word, virtue signal or, you know, um, uh, meet any kind of um, quota, <clears throat> but just to make it interesting, really. No, I wasn't. I was just saying that on on the outs. Like I wasn't. I'm just saying from what I see in like agencies and all that. That's oh yeah. I, I'm I'm intrigued what your thoughts are as to why in comedy agents they do that, but I don't seem to see that as much with acting or like music type stuff where they try and do quotas like that. Well, um, I'm not so familiar with the ins and outs of the acting and music thing, but for example, I know there has been an issue for a long time about. You know, women, especially older women, not necessarily getting um, parts in, 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 in movies and, 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 and TV and so on. Although I think that is changing now. Um, so I think there is an element to that. And of course, uh, for many years, you know, one of the very few black faces you'd ever see on TV would be Lenny Henry and maybe two or three others. And that would be it. Um, so I think there's still kind of work to be done there. I mean, I don't really get too involved in the whole politics of it. Um, uh, if I'm honest, okay, okay. Um, um, because <laughs> you know you stir up a hornet's nest, um, but but you know it just makes life more interesting. You know it's it's divert. You know I, I, was it the phrase I came up with? Once, you know, laugh, yeah, you know, laughing through diversity kind of thing. You know, um, as opposed to I think the the original expression is uh, smiling through diversity. Um, you know, so um, uh, no, oh, no, hang on, what, no. Uh, not not smiling through diversity, but smiling through. Oh, I can't remember the term, but anyway. Um, yeah, but so. I, um, with, I agree with you, though, Chris. And I, I say that, um, you know, the image that goes into my head is like when the thing in London, what's so great is there's so many different types of food or restaurants you go to. You can have fish and chips, you can have a curry, you can have a Chinese, you can have an Italian. And that's not all the, on the same plate, because that's. A no, 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 of course. <laughs> Oh, it would be interesting. I'd love to see a combination of like an Indian curry, non bread, with a bit of spring roll and chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fusion, fusion plus plus plus. But I, I, that's what I, I mean in comedy in a way, isn't it? That's what makes the night more interesting. We we may like fish and chips, but we don't want to see fish and chips all the time. And that's yeah. what I see it with perhaps doing a comedy show. Like, yeah. add yeah. a little bit of variety. Absolutely. And it's not just, you know, it's also about the, the nature of a comedy. So you might have one, an act who just does loads of, you know, um, sort of cheesy puns and other act who might, you know, do some observational stuff, you might have a musical act, you might have a sketch act or whatever. Um, you know, so it's, it's not just about, you know, how the person looks, but it's also about the nature of the comedy that comes out of their mouths or out of their bodies or both, you know, very much so. John Godillo mentioned something that's a bit similar to that. He says that when you're doing a show, you know, you've got to have like different rhythms, different ups and downs. That if it's too one way, like in a show, like if you're just doing one line and one liner and for maybe 50 minutes, people are going to get bored. You need to switch it up a bit to sustain interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
very much so, very much so. And also, you know, um, I think I, I think a lot of thought needs to go into, uh, you know, the, the running order. I mean, my night, it's only once a month, so it's not, it's not a big night in that respect. But, you know, you've got seven acts. Uh, I think, you know, thought needs to go into who opens and so on and who then follows that and so on. So it's a bit like segueing music, isn't it? If you're a DJ, you're going to put a little a lot of thought into what, what track's going to follow the last track and so on and how they segue together and so on. It's, in a way, it's similar in comedy, you know, you've had... <clears throat> so, yeah, you... you um, you, you can't, yeah, I mean, I put a bit of thought. You know, I, I don't, I don't just chuck seven acts together on a night. I actually do put some thought into it on the day um, prior to the prior to the gig as to who, you know, who who opens and then the second, third, fourth, and so on, um, and what order it goes in and how that then will, uh, um, you know, contribute to the energy in the room if you like. Yeah. So that you're kind of working towards that the crescendo of the uh, of the headliner at the end of the evening. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes I don't get it right, but usually it, it works quite nicely, yeah. And, of course, you know, you've got to book good acts, otherwise people aren't going to come back. No. It's, have, have you had a few evenings where they've... Do you, do you agree with these two points, that you learn more from... Do you, would you say you learn more from the failures or you learn more from the successes? Um... Well, I've learned so much from my mistakes. I, I plan to make many more. <laughs> <laughs> that's a clear <laughs> To be fair, that's not my line. I saw it once on a meme on Facebook, so I'm not going to own that one. Um, but um, I think there's some truth in that, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah. I, I, <clears throat> I, c I can't think of any particular um, disasters. Well, there's, 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 obviously, there's, there's, there's two threads to what I've been doing in the last few years. First of all, in terms of the performing, what I've tended to do when I was performing comedy um, is to um, um, record it, either on video or on audio. And what I do have, what I'm lucky to have is that uh, Ingrid, my wife, um, is a very um, forensic critic. Um, what I mean by that is we would come back from a gig um, and um, either that night, although usually we'd be too knackered because you're usually coming back in very late at night, or the next day we'd listen through to my set and she would feed back to me, um, uh, you know, uh, what could be done differently. She would explain to me why something I said didn't get a laugh at the time. So it might be that I say something and there's you know, kind of stone silence. And she might say, well, the timing didn't work there, or people probably were a bit, you know, a bit offended by the phraseology used or whatever. So, yeah, you know, so in that respect, I'm learning from from my uh, mistakes, if you will. And, and, and you know, and, and, and it's it. I'm in the very fortunate position of having someone like that to be able to feed back to me. Likewise, with the shows, you know, it is a family affair um, in as much as the show itself. You've got Ingrid, my wife, on the door. You know, she she looks after the acts. She greets the people coming in. She meets and greets. Got my son on the tech, yeah. So he does all the, all that side of things. Uh, my daughter, although she lives abroad now, when she's around, she's sort of she's sort of milling around as well. Um, but the point being that after the show, again, I can get feedback from them as to you know the quality of the, the lineup, the quality of you know how good the running order was, um, how I was as MC. Um, and, you know, any other elements, you know, in terms of how the room was set up. So, so you know, we, we, we have a kind of a debrief and, you know, uh, <clears throat> look at ways of needing to do it differently next time. So like the first few nights, the lighting wasn't up to much, you know, and we needed to do something about that. So absolutely, you know, that's how we learn, isn't it? So much of the time by making mistakes. It's like when I do training courses and I get people to do role plays. I say part of the purpose of a role play is to get it wrong because that's when you're going to learn as opposed to getting actually spot bollock perfect, which is great, lovely, pat on the back, but you're not really learning anything from that. <clears throat> Boring. You know, so, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Is, is that what you say that makes films interesting? That the good movies, they have characters that are interesting, but they've got different dimensions to them. And they've got different dimensions, they've got vulnerabilities, they've got, they're flawed. Yeah, I mean... You know, 
um, you watch a formulaic movie where everything is perfect. It's, uh, you know, yawn, yawn, yawn time, you know? Um, so, yeah, I would say so. But again, I'm not a massive movie buff. Uh, my son's a movie buff rather than me. But yeah, I mean, I've obviously watched movies over the years. But, and I think you're right, yeah. Uh, you, you, you've, through this conversation, you put in my head like with a publisher, make it like a movie where you have, where they, in each scene in the movie, they have someone that they always play oh. it from what perspective or what person's going to change the narrative of the scene by adding a drama or change thing. Like, do you ever watch Cobra Kai? Do I ever watch what? Cobra Kai. Well, that's that's probably too boring. That's that's not your sort. No, I've not even heard of it. But remember, I'm a different generation to you, so that might be part of it. <laughs> that's true. Uh, so, what about like the Terminator? Like, have you seen Terminator Two? No, I haven't seen any of the Terminator movies. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see. Okay, let's have fun. Oh with yeah, it, I'm sorry, Marvin. You know, you're you're throwing references at me, but don't. <laughs> 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 but there's comedy in that, in there. There's comedy in in imperfection. Yeah, where yeah, there is yeah. perfectionism, there's no comedy. Yeah, that's why you don't get many Swiss or German comedians, <laughs> if I may say that, without. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true, isn't it? Uh, it's the imperfection that makes comedy. <clears throat> it's the, it's the uh, errors, the the flaws, the vulnerabilities that make great comedy. I'm no expert in comedy, you know. Don't get me wrong. I'm just a layperson who's playing with it, having fun with it. Mm. Uh, I'm no expert, but that, that's my view, if you will. <clears throat> Isn't that the Diane Kruger effect, though? Like people that, when you start seeing yourself as too perfect, and you've got nothing to, to improve on, then that's, I mean, there's always going to be something to work on. Even someone like Michael McIntyre yeah. probably has loads of things that he thinks he needs to work on that we don't of see. Course. Of course. You know, I mean, it's a, bit, it's a bit like in my training life. You know, I've been mean, running training courses for over 30 years, right? I mean, you know, tens of thousands of people over that time that I've trained. You know, every time, I run, I run a course, I, you know, I think, yeah, what am I going to learn from this one? You know, it's still a learning course. There's a, there's a lovely quote somebody on one of my courses said some years ago. It's an elderly Irish quote. He said, I'm old enough to know that I know nothing, you know, and, and I think there's kind of a, a lot of truth in that. Uh, uh, you know, that to me smacks of wisdom rather than knowledge. You know, you kind of, uh, there's always more to learn. There's always more to, you know, there's always more opportunity to land flat on your face. Um, and so on. But, but as I said earlier, I've been very lucky in terms of, you know, performing comedy. I've not really had any major issues. Around, yeah, occasionally I've, you know, faced the wrong way on stage or occasionally <laughs> tripped over or fallen over somebody or, or, you know, done something stupid because I don't see so well. <clears throat> um, you know, knock drinks out of people's hands and so on. But, um, you know, nothing, no, nothing disastrous. Let's put it that way. Mm. I wish I could say the same for myself. <laughs> no, it's. It, I'd say I'd say I probably die once every thirty or forty gigs where I have a real bad one, and then I have maybe three or four not as good as I accept as I would expect. But yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, I, th I think I think that's a fair enough balance. You know what I mean? It kind of keeps you on your toes. Um, and and uh, but but um, I I. You know, I hate to say, I, I hope this isn't the case, but it might well be that audiences are a bit forgiving because, you know, as I say, I'm that bit older and you know, standing up there with a the white stick. Um, you know, they're not necessarily going to be as horrible as they might be to, to, to somebody else. Um, I do remember one incident was actually your night in Hammersmith, but, you know, where, <laughs> where my visual impairment came into play. Because I, I, arrived, I arrived in the room there at the Grove <laughs> And um, I was a bit late and I walked into the room and I saw a guy standing in front of me and I just said in, in quite a loud voice, oh, hello, I've just come to, I've, I've just come to, uh, to, to oh, I'm sorry, a bit late. Um, I'm here now kind of thing. And I didn't realise he was actually on stage and the audience were in front of him. <laughs> I'd walked in. I don't know if you remember that, but it was, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that might, you know, there's, so there's kind of embarrassing things that I can do because I'm not really... <laughs> Fully cognizant of what's going on around me. Huh? Oh, uh, it was brilliant. Uh, Paul Merritt was crying when that happened, and it, it was, it was, um, yeah. Well, it was, and it was funny. Shiraz's face as well, because he says, oh, "You know, I am in my set." <laughs> and he <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <right>. <laughs> who was it that was on stage? I can't even remember. 
Shiraz Yusuf. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, in fact, I heard about my night. You never mentioned it to me. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, silly things like that, which, you know, you learn to laugh about. Again, you know, it's all about comedy, isn't it? I don't, I don't get, you know, <clears throat> I don't get agitated. I mean, again, another thing that I mentioned on my comedy, uh, you know, that's part of my set, because, you know, for understandable reasons, much of my material is about having vision impairment, is how, you know, um, people will sometimes um, block the uh, green man, you know, when, in their car, when, when the green man comes up and you're going to cross the road. And, you know, a lot of people would get stroppy about that. So you shouldn't be blocking me. Whereas what I do is I just walk out, pretend I can't see anything. because I do have some side and just start tapping on the side of the car, you know, like that, looking all sort of lost uh, and tapping on the side of the car uh, with my white stick. And of course, you know, I can just about see the person in the car sort of getting really embarrassed because they, they, they fucked up. But um, I, um, uh, you know, so I think what I try to do in my day-to-day -day life is, you know, try and make light of things as much as possible, not get stroppy, not get angry, but just uh, maybe it's more kind of, uh, you know, more kind of a passive-aggressive approach, if you like, to teach people a lesson, uh, which, you know, hopefully works. <clears throat> so but then, you know, I'll get comedy out of it as well. That's true. It gets a lot of fun and joy. And <laughs> one of the things that I want to look into is what would you say is your process for enacting, like for reflecting on things and changing things? So like when you're writing a joke, what do you do? Do you go to the park, walk the dog and go bish bosh, here's a joke? Or do you <laughs> get some crayons, paint something? You watch only fours and horses. <laughs> well, I think you've been very insensitive there because my dog died last year. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> oh. Oh. No, you're all right. Don't worry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and to be fair, we still do have dogs on the house because my wife runs a small dog dog care business. So we have. We have everything from Chihuahuas to Newfoundlands and God knows what else in the household from time to time. But no, it, <laughs> going back to your original question, I've embarrassed the hell out of you. Um, do you know what? I've thought, I have thought about this on a number of occasions and there isn't any particular process that I follow. There, 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 there are two things, there, there, there are two kind of strands to my comedy. Um, First strand, which is a, most of what I would do, um, is the kind of, um, ironically, the observational stuff. Yeah. In fact, one of our lines on stage is, yeah, I had planned to do observational comedy, but it didn't quite work out. Yeah. I can't see it. But, um, so there is that kind of, um, you know, comedy based on personal experience, if you like, tapping the car on the side of a, you know, halfway across the road and all these kind of, you know, thing, mishaps and so on that happen or things to do with being Polish or things to do with being old, you know? So, um, <clears throat> but I don't, I don't kind of, um, I, I, I bullet point things, yeah? So I don't sort of sit and write jokes. I don't sit and write a routine. I'll perhaps just pop a bullet point into my phone, um, you know, uh, crossing road or um, being pulled onto a train, you know? Cause the other thing sometimes people do is they grab me by the arm and they pull me onto a train when I didn't even want to get on the bloody train, you know, and end up on the wrong train and end up in a different part of the country because somebody pulled me on the wrong train. So those kinds of things, which are kind of based on either actual experience or the kind of experiences that I could have, you know. Um, <clears throat> uh, so I don't sit and write gags. I don't sit and create material. I just kind of bullet point things and then, and then sort of just it comes out on stage. Uh, and, and, you know, I'll, I will on the way to a gig, although it's been a while since I actually actually did a gig, you know, go, you know, put together a kind of a sequence of bullet points that then become a sequence of the 10 or 15 minutes or whatever it is I happen to be doing. Um, <clears throat> so that's what I do. So, um, so I don't set aside time for writing or anything of that nature. Everyone has their own way. The, the, other, the other thing I do is, is I, I really enjoy wordplay and, and puns. So, um, you know, almost every day I might hear a word 
or a phrase and I start playing around with it in my head and see whether I can make anything out of it, you know, into, into a pun or into a kind of a, um, you know, some kind of uh, fun kind of wordplay. And I've probably got about a hundred of those, you know, tucked away on my phone, and, you know, um, to, to call upon. And in fact, sometimes at my night, I'll sort of have a, um, uh, uh, you know, when I'm emceeing, I'll say, right, okay, for the next few minutes, you're not allowed to laugh, you have to grow. And then I come out with a few really corny puns and have the audience groaning. And if anybody laughs, I get chucked out of the room. Um, so, you know, I kind of play around with that kind of thing as well. But again, the wordplay, the puns, I don't sit and think, right, okay, I've got half an hour now, I have to come up with some puns. They just kind of come from, you know, in the moment, from something I've heard on the radio or something I've heard somebody say, and I then kind of turn it into a pun or a, or a bit of wordplay. Um, <clears throat> you know, which I, you know, I, I do enjoy doing. And I find that easier now than the other stuff. Yeah. And, and what was the motivation and the brand of a try what, what what made you decide to set up all sorts what what made you be like fam i'm gonna set up a company night g well two things one one was as i said earlier going to that club in london and seeing how you know thinking i could do well <clears throat> maybe a bit arrogantly thinking i could do better than this than just having four male you know white comedians on the on the bill you know there's got to be more than this out there you know what i mean <clears throat> and um i knew there was because i'd already been before so i knew there was a lot more variety out there um what made me set up the first one do you know what marvin so often in my life i just get a little whim just comes from nowhere i mean when when i like left my last job over 30 years ago i was made redundant the day I was, after i was made redundant i just got a little whim in my head thinking do you know what i'm going to do some training and I just got on the phone and started talking to people about running training courses for them. It wasn't planned. It just kind of, you know, came from nowhere. And the same happened with a comedy. You know, I, okay, I decided to make some you know, sort of comedy character videos, which is still there somewhere, gathering dust on YouTube. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and then off the back of that, you know, I don't know, it just happens in a split second. Ooh, ooh, maybe I'll try. Maybe I will do stand-up comedy now. Because often people used to come up to me at the end of training courses, you know, that I'd run and they'd say, oh, you ought to do comedy. You're really funny, you know, um, because I would sort of join as part of my, you know, running a training course. It could be a customer care course or a management course or whatever. You know, I would, you know, say a few silly things, a few funny things, get people in the room laughing. So over the years, people would say to me, you should do stand up. <clears throat> and in fact, on one course, <laughs> a couple of years ago, one of the people on the course said, yeah, didn't I see you last week in a pub in Stockwell? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, fame at last. Yeah, I'd obviously been on it, uh, what's it called? The um, um, Comedy Virgins. <laughs> and in fact, one night at Comedy Virgins, there was a guy in the audience from Britain's Got Talent, and they invited me for a, what is it called, a producer's audition to go on Britain's Got Talent, but I didn't get through. <laughs> I just remember I was in, he, I was there with uh, Leo Pierce was, uh, was there as well, uh, and I'm not sure he got through either. But uh, yeah, and that was only after about my, I don't know, my twelfth gig or something. You, you're fluent in Polish, and I remember oh. you speaking in um, to Bunjo and another podcast where you did comedy in Polish as well. Now. That's quite interesting because I want to see like how did you adjust to that and what was the experience of performing in front of a Polish speaking audience and English speaking audience and how do you adjust? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I've done a little bit of an Eddie Izzard because I've done it in Polish and I've done it in French as well because I don't know if you know Ariel Sumo was running some French nights. I've oh, okay. French as well. Um, but but because um, <clears throat> I have a smattering of French. So, you know, I just, I, I thought I'd sort of rise to the challenge. Yeah, I mean, Polish was my first language, right? Um, but it's not my primary language because, of course, 99% of the time now I speak English day to day because for obvious reasons. But I, I didn't speak any English until I was, started school when I was five. Um, so it was Polish very much my first language. And, yeah, there was a guy, I don't know if you know him, called Mike Topolski, who ran a number of nights in London, Polish comedy nights and performed as well, obviously. And um, so <clears throat> I put myself down for it. And, it. and it was very weird, actually, because the acts at this night were all young acts from, you know, mainly from Poland or young Polish people, you know, who are based here 
who are performing in Polish and it's their first language, their primary language, you know, they speak it, you know, um, you know, pretty much perfectly and so on. And then, then this old duffer comes on in his 60s who, you know, yeah, my Polish is old fashioned Polish because I learned it from my parents who grew up in Poland pre-war, you know. So it's 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 kind of not the same kind of Polish. Polish. I mean, it's, un, it's understandable, you know, don't get me wrong, it's not a different language, but so there's a certain quaintness to it. What I literally did was to translate most of my material into Polish. I mean, puns and wordplay don't, you know, don't come into it. Obviously, it's a different language, but you know, <clears throat> my observational stuff, my stuff based on my experience, and I would just translate that into Polish. And what I did do was occasionally just sort of um, uh, put in a little you know smattering of English um, when I couldn't think of a Polish word and of course because all the audience live in England anyway they would have understood me so that was kind of fine people are again very forgiving about that but there was a couple of a couple of things one, one was the other acts they're all young all talked really fast and I could hardly understand anything from their acts because they were going so fast um, and talking a different form of Polish that half the time when I was watching them I'm kind of smiling or politely laughing when I don't really know what I'm laughing at. <laughs> so that was a bit weird, even though it's the same language. But the funniest thing, or the most amusing thing was that um, my wife uh, pointed out that there were there was a table of English people there. I think they'd come as a guest of one of the acts. And of course, they're watching all these acts talking in Polish and not really understanding very much, but you know, having their pints and, you know, politely sort of um, watching the other acts, but not really understanding it. So I've come up on stage and um, they don't realise that I'm from this country, you know, on comes another Polish act, you know. And um, I started my act in Polish, and of course, you know, they don't understand what I'm talking about or whatever, and I'm sort of talking in Polish. All this kind of thing, you know, good evening, good evening, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, you know, a minute or two into my act, I turn to that table specifically and I just say to them, How are you doing, lads? All right. <laughs> and they just, their faces, their jaws just dropped, you know, and they're sort of like choking on their beers. And you what the hell's going on here? The guy talks English because they didn't realize I was actually from this country, you know, because I come on talking Polish. Um, and then come out with this sort of London accent. And um, uh, my wife, because she could see better than I, uh, just said to me, it's so funny because these guys just completely, you know, completely in shock. Um, but um, doing it in Polish, no, I enjoyed the challenge of it. Um, I got laughs. Um, and again, you know, you, it's not just about, you know, having funny material. I think it's about the engagement as well. You know, and I think that's important in comedy. You've got to be engaging. You know, one of the other criteria that I had for all sorts was that I would want to book nice people. You know what I mean? People who are engaging. I didn't necessarily want spiteful acts or ones that are nasty or ones that are, you know, overly contentious. Um, because, you know, people are giving up their time um, or, you know, wanting to come, you know, to have a nice time, not to be abused or to sort of find themselves embarrassed by stuff that's you know unpleasant. Yeah. Um, and, and and that's why I tried to do when I was on stage. So you know and and kind of taking Mickey out of being an old Polak really to, to the Polish audience and, and they seem to like it. You know they, they invited me back. Um, yeah so Lovely. all good. So and, and it was okay that that's that's an interesting point. So basically all the slang words they used in Polish. You're like, what's this? What's this? What's what they're referring to this? What does this mean? <laughs> oh yeah, there's the slang words. There's, uh, there's the speed at which they they perform. But they, all of them seem to be sort of like on, you know, the, you know, the, the the accelerator pedal down to the floor in terms of their their delivery. I mean, the audience loved them. I mean, mad, no, don't get me wrong, they're very mm -hmm. funny people, clearly. Um, <clears throat> but I just wasn't keeping up. I suppose a good way of putting it. I just wasn't keeping up because I was just going, going so fast. And um, you know, in English you have the, the the F word. I don't know if you're aware, but in Poland there's what we might might be called the K word. Um, um, I, I will say it's but it's called a violin. You know, you may have heard people say it. And um, ev just about every act was saying it every other word, and that's just over the top. You know, just constantly. You know, mm. it's a bit like an act in England, just you know, saying fuck every other word. You know. Um, 
and uh, that got a bit much. Uh, I wasn't offended by it. I just got bored. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, but but that doesn't just happen on the Polish stage. I mean, if you listen to any Polish workmen. Well, to the last two questions I want to ask are like, what have been the experiences of life from comedy or, or other aspects of life that you've learned the most from that have been painful and what have been the ones that have been what the fuck and hilarious well when you say painful i mean i'd i'd, I'd, I'd have to pluck something out of my non-comedy life <clears throat> um so I'm getting a tiny bit heavy here because it's completely separate from what we've been talking about. Um, and that was the experience of my daughter when she was four years old, she's 24 now, um, having had um, leukemia and uh, kind of um, uh, a very big chance that she wasn't gonna make it through. And why I quote that is that I, at the time, um, convince myself that there's a bigger picture. Whatever happens in your life, there's going to be a bigger picture. There's a bigger reason for it. And a lot of the time, we won't even see that bigger reason. So I'm getting a bit philosophical here, but you know, <clears throat> you asked the question and that's what came into my head. Um, and recognizing that, I mean, the analogy I use very briefly, and I know this isn't about comedy as such, but the analogy I use is that if you imagine, I don't know, um, San Francisco Harbour, and under the surface in, this, you know, in the sea, there is a fish. And that fish has a certain lifespan. I don't know how, how long do fish live for? You know about these things, don't you, Marvin? Hey, well, I've got a goldfish, uh, lasts for 24 years. <laughs> oh, there you go. And let's just say in that lifespan of 24 years, that fish, right, jumps out of the water just once and glimpses San Francisco and ends up in the water again, right? Now, you know, and I know, that San Francisco is the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest fraction of the whole world, isn't it? Yeah? And it glimpsed it for a split second. Does it mean San Francisco doesn't exist? Of course it exists and so on. But that fish has only experienced it for a split second. And I think it's similar with us as any, you know, we, we're not seeing the whole picture. so. You know, my child gets ill, my child nearly dies. You know, I can say, why is that happening? Blah, blah, blah. And I'll never know. There's a bigger picture. Does that make sense? Because I'm being, getting a bit heavy here, but you asked me what the most painful. But so, yeah, through it, that- It was a difficult situation. It taught you to think of the wider view of things. Yeah, yeah. But if something shit happens, there might be a bigger picture that I'm just not seeing. And just accepting that. Yeah? Okay. Now, in terms of comedy, yeah, again, that could apply. It's not the same kind of thing, but, you know, not the same kind of situation, but there might be a big, you know, so for example, you know, um, uh, I don't know, you're dropped by an agent, you don't know why, or um, you're, you know, a gig completely bombs and you just can't put your finger on it. You think, well, okay, there's a bigger picture, you know, okay, there's something to learn from this and there may be a bigger reason for it. Um, uh, or something better might come out of it as a result of that. It goes back to your earlier question about learning from things, you know, uh, <clears throat> learning from things, things going wrong. Um, so those painful things can turn into something that's um, better. Or, you know, when I was made redundant, that was very painful over 30 years ago. But that then took me on to, you know, going in, you know, the next day, picking up the phone and saying, I'm doing training courses. Um, you know, so that's another example of what I'm talking about. That's painful for my ego to have lost my job, but it kind of moved me into something else. So there was, there was a second part to your question, wasn't there? Oh, don't want to end on a heavy, I don't want to end on that heavy one. So what was the second part of your question? What's been the hilarious, like strange or like awkward situation that, 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 that you're like, how the hell did this happen? And like, that, 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 I mean, it was annoying at the time, but when you look back on it, it's hilarious. Oh, I mean, yeah. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to think. Um, well, but there, there could be any number of you know things or little things that uh, that occur. Um, falling off a train platform at Axminster railway station was quite funny, but it wasn't funny at the time. <laughs> um, where I got off a train, 
and um, I was walking on the platform and I got a little bit distracted and I didn't realise I was walking diagonal instead of straight ahead and fell off the platform. Um, <laughs> is that the sort of thing you're talking about? <laughs> well, I'm glad it wasn't on London Underground because I could have been electrocuted. Um, but <laughs> and I tell you what, ever since I'm really careful on train platforms. Um, so there's that. There's a time where I dropped my white cane on an escalator at Catwick. And um, <laughs> I, gonna, I can't remember how it was. I dropped, the, I dropped my white cane and it fell all the way down to the bottom. I'm going upwards and my white cane fell to the bottom behind me. So I had to somehow get back down to get my white cane to go back up the escalator again. Tell you what, I might do it. I might put that into my into my comedy set if I ever do comedy again. So yeah, there's oh, probably, <laughs> give me enough time. I'll think of dozens of things like that. But at the time, we're really frustrating, but which afterwards I do laugh at, laughed at. Yeah, definitely, um, and and um, find find very funny in in retrospect. And of course, that's that's the uh, that's the thing, isn't it? Because a lot of comedy can be based on tragic things. Yeah, um, but you know. Uh, sometimes those things need to be given time. Um, you know, um, you don't laugh at, what's, what's that expression I once heard? Don't make jokes about the wounds, wait till they're scars and then make the jokes. You know what I mean? It's sort of like that whole too soon thing. <laughs> you know? so, so, yeah, um, those are a couple of examples, if that, you know, if that's the sort of thing you're looking for. So the only thing I'd like to add to that, so with things that have hurt you, you, you know, when you when you're a little bit fucked up by it, don't tell jokes it. But when you're completely fucked up by it, then tell the joke. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean it's. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Um, you, you know that expression too soon. You know people sometimes make that joke about you know the death of Princess Diana. How soon is it okay to make jokes about it? You know, there's when does it become okay? When does it become appropriate? But then again, this all plugs into a much bigger conversation about you know. Uh, appropriateness of jokes and political correctness and so on and so forth. So, um, likewise, um, you know, I mean, the, the two incidents I mentioned of you know, falling off a train platform and that, you know, I can laugh about that, you know, almost immediately afterwards if I allow myself to. It's not like I get fall off a platform and have my legs sliced off or get killed. Um, you know, it's just, you know, something stupid I've done because I wasn't paying attention. <clears throat> um, but of course, bigger stuff, yeah, you, you know. Some some stuff you you never make jokes about, um, you know, because it's just too awful. Um, although you know it does go into the area of black, black humour, of course, um, mm. where we, we, which can then be a coping mechanism. So people, for example, who work in the emergency services, you know, will often use humour to help them get through the day because they're dealing with such dreadful things. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's, you know that's a whole interesting angle in itself. But what you said there is a bit like how I spoke to Matt Price. He, yeah. he speaks to a lot of criminals on his podcast, and they deal with a lot of things they've done by telling jokes on it. And what you said there with some of the things you've witnessed, the way you, you're able to cope with some of them is by yeah. taking the piss out of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't take the piss out of the fact my daughter had been for himself. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that there is a... There's a line that you, know, yeah. you you can cross a line you can't cross, um, and um, you know it's. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Um, you know, some 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 things about it were quite funny. I mean, I, I remember what you know we're we're in the in the um, hospital canteen and uh, her grandmother was with us and my daughter's pu pulling her hair out because you know she and she's in front of her grandmother and her grandmother's like choking on her sausage. What the hell's going on? Here? My granddaughter was pulling out her hair. So you know, even that can be quite funny. But I wouldn't do. I personally wouldn't go on stage. So there's there's humour in just about any any kind of life experience, and there's humour in any number of different uh, challenging or even tragic life experiences. But it's about you know timing. It's about your audience. It's about you know what the intention is behind that. That's it's important. But um, yeah, I mean, I look back on as I say, give me enough time. I think of other things. I look back on that I was really pissed off about at the time, but I can laugh at now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> there's only one thing I'm going to add on that is that there's a comedian called Jenny Godley and maybe if she is in London get her on because I spoke to John Fleming and he said yeah. that she's been through some horrific incidents and yeah. she she made it wasn't 
It was actually a serious story. She was telling a story about her uncle did some very tragic things and how she did something revenge. Mm. But it was very dreadful. And it it was funny because of the way she said it. And she wasn't even intending to be funny. It's just that the way she said it made it funny. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So it's again about that delivery and so on. And of course, you know, there have been any number of comedians who've talked about their experience of having things like cancer and so on themselves, not about other people, but about themselves. Yeah. Because that then, you know, informs your comedy. It gives you something to, you know, it's, it's, it's about your own life. In the same way as I talk about having a visual impairment, which, you know, it can at times be painful. I mean, emotionally as well as physically. You know, I walk into something, I can hurt myself. Uh, I, you know, uh, or I, you know, or at times I can get very sad about it. You know, hell, I'm only human. But mm. um, there's so many funny things about it as well uh, that I, personally have a right to talk about because I'm the person in that position. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't take the piss out of somebody else's deafness or somebody else in a wheelchair. Because, you know, that's that's for them to do if they choose to. It's not for me to uh, that would be that yeah. would not be okay, you know? So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean <clears throat> I love laughing about my uh, flaws. <laughs> Just not gonna share them all. <laughs> of course. Yeah, but it's, it's yeah. Um, and lastly, uh, what, what would you like to plug? What would you like, you know, if people like want to find out about you, how do they get in touch, Chris? Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Well, all sorts is really what I would be talking about here. Now, all sorts is all sorts with a Z on the end instead of an S, A double L S O R T Z comedy. Now that runs once a month on the first Wednesday of every month in Barnet in North London, top of the Northern Line. Uh, so basically you jump on the Northern Line and go as far as it goes and you'll be there. Um, as long as you don't take the Edgeware branch, I've just realised. Uh, <clears throat> and um, it's like kind of 10 minutes from the station. So that runs once a month. It's free, free to get in with a bucket at the end. So, you know, it's, uh, and uh, yeah, every month, seven acts, including a headliner. Um, and um, yeah, it's a good fun show. Uh, other than that, I don't have anything comedy-wise to plug because I don't have any any performances that I'm doing at the moment, and I'm not running, not running any other nights. I mean, now that I'm not working so much because I'm pretty much semi-retired, I'm going to sort of do some thinking around whether to sort of set up any other nights or do any other stuff around comedy. That's kind of a work in progress at the moment, but I've got nothing specific to say about that yet. Um, but all sorts of comedy. I mean, uh, I am on Twitter, but there's nothing there because I never use Twitter. It's kind of, or I think it's at all sorts of comedy from memory. Um, but there's a there's a Facebook page uh, that people can go to. That's probably the best place to go if you just want to see. And uh, on the Facebook page, I just put details up usually of what the next gig is and so on. Although I haven't done that yet for the next one. <clears throat> so so that's that really. Um, and um, oh, the venue it's a pub called the Queen's Arms in Barnet, which is about ten minutes from the station. Okay. Lovely, uh, lovely landlord. It's a good night. So, guys, listen up. Listen up. If you want to go and find out about Chris, you pop by to all sorts. It's in the name. They got all sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> With a Z on the end. <laughs> yes, that's the only difference. <laughs> or it's like the A to Z of comedy. Starts with A. Yes. And yes. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun, Chris. Uh, and everyone, I'll see you at the next episode.